Well, good morning, brothers. Good morning. This is, good morning. Yeah. This has been such a wonderful time for us to spend together discussing this topic, hasn't it been? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I want to say as I start today that uh, even as I was preparing this talk late last night and this morning, <laughs> I was so convicted and challenged um, that I'm, I'm not doing this as well as I should be. So, you know, even as I preach to you about friendship, the last thing I want to be is a hypocrite. Um, and I think, you know, that is something that we all should be uh, desiring in our own lives, right? Um, so let me start us off by praying, um, praying that we will be able to apply these things in our lives. Father, we do want to thank you, Lord, for the great hope that we have in the gospel. Lord, if it were not for the gospel, there would be no hope of reconciliation with you. But we love Jesus because he laid down his life for us. And he is our living savior. And because of that, we have great hope about everything we are talking about today. We pray all this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> Friends, have you seen someone do something that is so hard, but they make it look very easy? I feel like that when I'm watching Matt Frazier in the CrossFit Games. <laughs> For those of you who watch CrossFit. Um, you know, he makes it look so easy. And sometimes when I'm watching those games, you know, I just get up and try, you know, because it, it just feels like so easy. Especially when he's doing the pistol squats. You know, it's like when you are going down this way. And he does like, you know, 20 at a time, and then he goes up on the pull-up bar, and then he does, and then he continues, and all of them do that. And only when I try it, I realize how hard it is. You know, Matt Frazier wasn't born that way. It, he makes it look easy. But he got there through hours and hours of training. Now think of someone who has mastered a musical instrument. I mean, really mastered it. It requires learning theory for years and years and tens of thousands of hours of practice to get to the point they are. And when we see them, they make it look very easy. You know, they are able to bring together production and make it look like, you know, it is so easy that anyone can do. Or take the example of learning a very complicated language. So one of the things I'm doing is teaching my wife Malayalam. <laughs> and no matter how hard I try, she cannot tell the difference between n and ny and r and r. <laughs> so we're going to try this. Can everyone say param? <laughs> now say param, which is banana. Param. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, my wife doesn't understand why I get so frustrated when she doesn't get it, but it comes easy to me. And that is because of years and years of practice. You know, these are not easy things, but some people make it look that way. Similarly, some people make friendship look very easy when it isn't. You know, friendship is hard. The very thing that we are talking about, gospel friendship especially, is very hard. We have already talked about what it requires, right? It requires us to be faithful, 
which is grounded on sacrifice and selflessness, that's hard. It requires for us to build trust with each other. And for trust, it requires for us to be vulnerable with each other. And that's scary, right? If you look at what Paul says about what love takes in 1 Corinthians 13, you know that list, don't you? 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 to 7, he says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You know, you cannot read that list and go away thinking that it is easy to build friendships. Now, just to be clear about what we are talking about this weekend, we are talking about gospel friendships. And in the scripture, gospel friendship is the friendship between believers who are reconciled in Christ. So as New Covenant believers, we have been given a fellowship with God through Jesus. And because of that, we have a fellowship with each other as brothers. And so there is a kind of closeness that we experience. A bond, even though we may look very different to each other, a bond that goes deeper than blood. And that is because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And so what that means is gospel friendship is a whole lot more deeper than what other friendships in the world look like. Now, some of you may be familiar with this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, where Paul says, do not be unequally yoked to unbelievers. Usually, people use this passage to refer to marriage, you know, why someone who is a believer should not marry an unbeliever. And I think that is a good way to apply that passage. But if you really look at the passage in 2 Corinthians, it actually says nothing about marriage. It says a lot about spiritual fellowship that believers can enjoy with each other and a disconnect that believers and unbelievers in the world have when it comes to friendship. So spiritual fellowship, which is really what we're talking about, gospel friendship, is impossible unless Christ dwells in your heart. Should Christians love non-Christians? Absolutely. But you know, they cannot reciprocate that love till God opens their eyes and saves them. So what that means then, brothers in Christ, is that if you profess to be saved, but you resist talking about spiritual things, then you're depriving yourself of friendship that nobody else in the world can enjoy. You're depriving yourself of the fellowship that Christ has died to win for brothers who are in Christ. And so the kind of friendship we are talking about is, you know, to be more specific, where men share about their spiritual experiences with each other, where they pray for each other, where they share concerns with each other, where they talk about their frustrations, they talk about their triumphs in their walk with Jesus, where they spur each other towards progress in maturity in Christ. That is what we are talking about when we say gospel friendships. And brothers, when you know it, when you have experienced that kind of friendship, it is sweet. 
John Chrysostom, who was an early church father in the 400s, he says of this kind of friendship, this is what he says, it were better for us that the sun should be extinguished than to be deprived of friends. Better to live in darkness than to be without friends. I speak of spiritual friends who prefer nothing to friendship. I should also add he was single. <laughs> All right, so in light of this, I want to say it's amazing how few Christians actually enjoy spiritual fellowship with each other. It's not easy, like many things in life, but there is so much good that God intends for us if we would have it and experience it in our lives. Now, for the rest of our time, what we are going to do, and this is what the session is all about, is I think it'll be helpful for us to identify the particular challenges that hinder this kind of gospel friendship. And so, if we are really honest about those challenges, then we can take steps to know how to overcome those challenges. And I want to say that, you know, even as I go through these hurdles or challenges, they are not comprehensive by any means. You know, even many of the things that um, I thought of, I, I'm not going to talk about. There's so much more we can add to this list. But just so that you can track with me, I've put this on the board so you can see how we're going to group these challenges into two categories. So we are going to talk about challenges from within, that is, you know, within us first. And then we're going to talk about challenges from without. But under each of those categories, we're going to list what are some of the challenges from within and, then we, and, and without. And then we're going to look at a biblical model that will help us understand how we should overcome those challenges. And then we will end by applying those biblical examples in our lives. So that's what we're going to do in this session, and hopefully that's helpful for you if you are going to take down notes. Well, let's start by thinking about challenges from within. I think these are the hardest for us to overcome because they come from within us, and the root of these challenges are our sinful nature. So the first one we're going to consider under that category, challenges from within, is doubt. Doubt. You know, nobody in this room is going to say that, you know, friendship is a bad thing, right? But if we are honest, maybe some of it might consider it to not be a necessary thing. So if we have the attitude that friendship is not something that we have to actively pursue, or that it is not something that is a good gift from God, then we are showing by our attitude that we don't really believe what God has to say about friendships in the Bible. In other words, we are doubting God's good design for us through friendships. And in this, I think we should be aware of what Satan is doing. Satan is deceiving us, distorting our view of friendship from what God has intended for it to be. So this is exactly what he did in the Garden of Eden, right? What did he do with Adam and Eve? Satan introduced doubt in their mind whether God was good, whether God had good intentions for mankind. And that is what led them astray. And Satan's doing the same thing with us today by distorting our view of what friendship is. You know, just like what we heard before, right? Behind every false teaching, there is some truth, right? So Satan's never going to tell us that it is a bad thing. But he'll make us feel that it is not a necessary thing or it's not an instrument 
for our good that God is using in our lives. So having an I could take it or leave it attitude towards friendship shows that we then believe Satan's lies, that it's not a necessary thing. And then what do we do? We deprive ourselves of one of the most important means of grace that God has given to us in the scripture. So let me ask you this, brothers. We are hearing about gospel friendships this weekend. And I want to ask you, do you have the kind of gospel friendships that we are talking about in your life right now? Do you have them? And this is really the question. If you don't, does it bother you that you don't have them? Because if it doesn't bother you, then maybe you have bought into Satan's lie that gospel friendships are not a bad thing, but not a necessary thing for Christians to have. Well, that's the first one, doubt. The second thing that we're going to consider, the second hindrance within the same category is pride. You know, when we are proud, we make the mistake of thinking that we can get through our Christian life by ourselves without any help. So we may have other brothers in close proximity to us. We may even meet with them. But we may not believe that they have anything to add to our sanctification. You know, pride will always lead you to think, like Proverbs says, that you're wiser than seven men who can answer sensibly. And it won't allow you to be open to rebuke and correction, without which you won't make it in your Christian life. Let's consider the third one, which is very connected to pride, and that is fear of man. Now, fear of man, for those of you who don't know the terminology, is putting people in the place of God and letting what you think they think of you control you. So if you want a good book to read on this topic, um, I suggest reading Ed Welsh's When People Are Big and God Is Small. So the way this is different is that you may not think that you're better than others, but because of fear of man, you want to keep up appearances. It's like wearing a mask to hide your true self and to portray another version of you that you think is more appealing for people. You know, all of us have things in our lives that we are ashamed of, that we are afraid of being exposed of, that if we think people really got to know, would not want to be friends with us. But you see, also none of us want to look weak. You know, none of us want to look vulnerable. This is especially true with men, right? We want to appear strong and wise. But here's the thing about fear of man. It will damage your relationships with other brothers. Because we won't be able to be vulnerable. We won't be able to expose our true selves to our, our brothers. And therefore, we cannot go deeper than just the surface in our relationships. You know, fear of man can also lead us to having many relationships, none of which are deep. So we can give the appearance, again, of knowing a lot of people in the church, but not really anyone beyond the surface. You know, secretly, it may be that we are, we, we are getting to know a lot of people because we don't really want to know anyone in particular. Now, for those of you who are members in Covenant Hope Church, you will all remember that time when you got a call from one of the elders, you know, and they asked you the question, 
who are you most connected to in the church? And some of you may have panicked to know how to answer that question. Because you may be connected to only one person in the church. But you see, the question is not a test for how many people, you know, you can list off that you're connected to in the church. But it's to evaluate if there is even one person, even another brother in the church that you are open and vulnerable with. So that's the intention behind the question, right? But brothers, we all have pride. We all struggle with fear of man. Don't let these things be a hindrance for you to build deep friendships, the kind of spiritual fellowship that we are saying that Christians can enjoy with one another. And finally in this category is self-centeredness. Self-centeredness. You know, the very heart of friendship and maybe the thing that makes it so hard is that friendship is not really about us. It is about caring for someone else. It is about considering the interests of your brother more than your own interests. But you know, so often, because of our self-centeredness, we approach relationships based on what we can gain from it, right? So we put an extra effort and spend time with who? With people who can give us something or who may help us succeed in some area of our life or who may help us in one way or the other. And because of our strong impulse to just build friendships to meet our own needs, you know what? We will also ditch our friendships when we don't need them anymore. You know, this self-centeredness or selfishness also manifests itself in laziness in our lives. You know, we are unwilling to put in the conscious effort to cultivate deep and meaningful relationships in our life. Now, if you want to learn about what laziness looks like, you know, there is no better place in the Bible to turn to than Proverbs, which is also, interestingly, has a, it has a lot to say about friendships. You know, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 4, says something very interesting about the lazy person. And this is not the only verse that says it. I'm going to read it and then see if you, you pick up on it. This is what Proverbs chapter 13, verse 4, tells us about the lazy person. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. It's interesting, isn't it? The lazy person has cravings. They have deep desires, but they are unwilling to do anything about it. That's the difference between the sluggard and the diligent. It's not the lack of desires, but it is what they do about it. We can apply that to friendships. You know, many men desire friendships in general, but will not put in the hard work to cultivate it. And here's a scary thought. You know, the person who is unwilling to pay the price of building friendship will end up paying a greater price of not having a single friend. Friend, self-centeredness blinds us to our own need for others in our lives. You know, when we struggle with the sin of selfishness, we might also be actively avoiding some people. So we might try to pursue friendship with people who are cheerful or stable or not struggling or not broken, um, but we may quit with people who are demanding too much of us or whose flaws are more apparent than the flaws of others. You know, a church, a church, covenant of church, 
is filled with flawed people. Each and every one of us are broken people. <clears throat> and instead of showing sacrificial love, we may be just trying to protect ourselves, even when we are seeking to do, when we're seeking to build relationships with our brothers. Friends, selfishness will destroy gospel friendships. It will stop us from doing good to others. On the other hand, sacrifice and sacrificial love will build it. I want us to look at the example that we have of friendship. One of the you know, sweetest friendships between brothers that we see in the Bible is this, Jonathan and David. So let me encourage you to turn there. First Samuel chapter 23, verses 15 to 18. First Samuel 23, 15 to 18. This is what it says. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horish, and Jonathan went home. It's amazing, you know, the friendship that Jonathan has for David. But to really appreciate their friendship, a little background will help. So at this point, God has promised to take the kingdom away from Saul and give it to David. So David is now the anointed king of Israel. Uh, but David is running for his life away from Saul. Saul is out to kill him. And so anybody that is associated with David is also risking their life at this point. Now, Jonathan is Saul's son. You may have noticed that, right? And so that makes Jonathan the crown prince of Israel. He's the next in line. And Jonathan has always been a faithful friend to David. But if he's going to continue to be a faithful friend to David, it means that there is a lot that he's going to lose. Because if David becomes king, he and all his descendants, Jonathan and all his descendants, will lose their claim to the throne of Israel. And instead of Jonathan becoming the king who has authority, will become the servant of David. So it doesn't really make sense why Jonathan is so loyal to David. Even Saul was confused as to why his son would not kill David. This doesn't make sense. You see, Jonathan is an ex excellent example of self-sacrificial love for us in the scriptures. Even when he had a lot to lose, even when his father threatened him with physical harm, he promised undying loyalty to David. Even at the cost of his own life, he wanted to encourage David. He wanted to encourage him and point him to the promises of God. Look at verse 17 again. He encourages David to not be afraid and reminds him that God has promised to make him king over Israel. What does Jonathan gain from this? Nothing. He's just seeking the well-being of David at this point, who he is loyal to and faithful as a friend. And I hope you see what an incredible display of faithfulness this is for us. Now, I know what you're asking at this point. You may be asking, hmm, do I have any friend like this in my life? 
But that is the wrong question. The question is, am I afraid like this to anyone in our church? Because how many of us can honestly say that we would do this for another brother in our church? It's because of his undying loyalty that Jonathan's descendant, Mephibosheth, if you continue reading the story, you will know, he was treated with great love and compassion by David. God blessed Jonathan's faithfulness to David. He did gain in the end. There was great blessing that came to him. His family was preserved by David, but he didn't know all of that. It looked like in the short run, he was losing. But in the long, long term, God was blessing him. Friends, what's the application for us? You know, very rarely does God call us to sacrifice this much for our friend, our brother in Christ. But Jonathan's example should spur us to love our brothers in Christ in, in the same way. And for that, we must be willing to put aside our desires, our goals, our preferences, so that we can be a blessing, God's blessing, to our brother's lives. One more thing. You know, Jonathan stands in stark contrast to Saul in this passage. Saul was self-centered and selfish. Where did that lead him? His destruction. You know, Saul was not good at making friends. And he ended his life with absolutely no friend. Maybe you could say the friend he had was his armor bearer. But even his friend didn't do what Saul wanted him to do, which was to kill him. He ended up with nothing. But when Jonathan died, this is what David has to say about Jonathan, his faithful friend. Look at, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 25 to 26. 2 Samuel chapter 1, 25 to 26. This is what David says. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant you have been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. You know, Jonathan didn't know that God was going to use his life to make David king. But what a blessing to be remembered this way by God's anointed king. Now, side comment. You know, many people who read this passage say, and I can't tell you how many people have asked me this question, isn't this some kind of romantic relationship between the two guys, you know, David and Jonathan? You know, isn't this some indication of a homosexual relationship? And I wonder how you would answer that question, you know? The answer is no, because God's word tells us that this is a pure relationship with, between two brothers. See, it's very telling, isn't it, that in our times, it is easier to believe that this is a homosexual relationship than it is to believe that it is possible for brothers to have such intimate relationship with one another. That is God-honoring. That is deep and close with one another. You know, when you struggle to know what kind of friend you are to be, or when you're battling with your own self-centeredness and pride, I want to encourage you to look at this godly example that is shown to us in Jonathan. Pray. This could be the 10th mark, by the way, of friendship. <laughs> Pray that God will enable you to put to death all those things in your heart 
that stops you from being a good friend to other brothers in the church? Well, that's the first category, challenges from within. Now let's consider the second one, challenges from without. <clears throat> you know, as human beings, we all have limits. So, you know, we are not God. We are bound by time, space. We have limited energy. We have many responsibilities that we should not ignore. So oftentimes, pursuing a friendship with another brother takes the back seat because there are so many demands on us, you know, that are placed from our work and from our family. I want to ask you this question. Why do you think that we let friendship take a backseat? Yes, we all have limited time and limited energy because that's what it means to be human beings. But why do we let that take a backseat? I think it is because failure in friendship is not immediately apparent as failure in other areas of our lives. So we cannot afford to fail at work, can we? Because we lose our jobs. Because it will be made clear to us very quickly if we fail at work. And we cannot even fail at home with the responsibilities that we have at home because our wives will notice or our kids will notice. And on top of that, the idea of cultivating friendship seems draining because there is no time left. <clears throat> so it can take a backseat in our lives. But if we really, really believe what the scriptures have to say, that this is a good gift from God in our lives, then wouldn't we prioritize some time for it? Like anything in life, this goes for anything in life. We will never have time for friendship until we make time for friendship. So brothers, I want to encourage you don't let your busyness stop you from cultivating friendships in the church. It might mean that you might need to be creative or change the frequency of your meetings with your brothers. Maybe you're having conversations with your brother on your way to work and you're just calling up another brother, asking him how you can pray for him and then you know, reminding him of the gospel and that's all you can do, but that is something. It might mean waking up extra one day of the week to meet with another brother to study the Bible and to encourage him in the Lord before you go to work. That's something. As we have seen, if friendship is an important gift from God and we don't have much time in our lives, we must not neglect it. Another hindrance under challenges from without. It could be the cultural difference that we have the difference in age, the difference in socioeconomic uh, status. You know, it's easy to pursue friendships with people who are exactly like us, right? You know, people from Kerala, you know, naturally gravitate towards people from Kerala, you know, and it is difficult to cross even the cultural lines to build friendships with others who are unlike us. But here's what the gospel is. The gospel unites people who are very different in the body of Christ. And there is great blessing to us when we learn how to make friends who are entirely different from us. So if we befriend people who are only like us, then what, different, what difference is there between us and the world? Now there are some challenges to overcome when you seek to build relationships with people who are different from you. But they are not impossible. 
it may mean that you have to spend more time, it's more hard work, it requires patience, but it's worth it. And here's the thing, it will require for you to give up your freedoms. You know, we want to remember what Paul says about considering the weaker brother when we are crossing differences in building relationships. So if your friend is challenged in a way that you're not, like let's just say you're building a relationship with someone who is financially challenged, consider giving up your freedom to go to a fancy coffee shop and instead go to a place where your brother will feel more comfortable to meet with you regularly. You know, we want our friendships to be the means by which our brothers are edified and built up and not be a source of anxiety and frustration in their lives. So as you seek to cross barriers to cultivate these kinds of gospel friendships, always ask yourself the question, what does God want me to give up to pursue gospel friendships in our church? <clears throat> Another challenge to friendships that come from without is the sin of the person that you're befriending. This one is hard. And this is maybe the biggest reason why people don't build friendships. Even if you do everything in your power to be the best friend to the other brother, it's possible that they can hurt you by their sin. You know, when you have been all that we've been talking, you should be. You, when you've been vulnerable, when you've been self-sacrificial for the sake of your friend, and then they reject you. They reject not just your advice, but you as a person in their life. When they may betray you, or maybe they may turn away from the Lord, it can feel like a knife in your heart after all that you have done for them. And maybe some of you have experienced these kinds of hurts in friendships in this church or another church, and it's tempting then to not build, not want to build, not even want to try um, building friendships with anyone so that we can protect ourselves from that deep pain that we have experienced before. But I want to suggest, in light of all those insurmountable challenges, even from without, that we are, we are facing in building friendships, it'll help us to look at Christ. And that is the biblical model I want us to look at. To look at Christ and his example of friendship with his disciples. You know, there is no one who is more different to his friends than Christ was to his disciples. Think of what happened in the incarnation of Jesus. It was a cross-cultural experience for Jesus. God literally entered the world so he could befriend us. Christ became bound to space and time constraints during the time he was on earth to build friendships with his disciples. Jesus was without sin, the best friend you could possibly have. But he was hurt deeply by the sin of his disciples, by their self-interest, their self-seeking agendas. Yet, Jesus loved them and served them. You know, can you imagine what it was like after all that Jesus had done for his disciples for Judas to turn around and betray him? But I think what was worse was Peter's denial of Jesus in Jesus' weakest moment. He promised, didn't he, that he would stay by Jesus no matter what happened? You know, even Peter understood what a terrible thing he had done after he denied Jesus three times because he broke down and wept 
But Christ loved him. Even then, not just that, but after his resurrection, he appeared to him so that Peter will know that he has been forgiven by Jesus. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 21, 15 to 19. Let's read this uh, encounter that Jesus has with, with Peter after his resurrection. John 21, 15 to 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to, them, said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, he said to Peter, follow me. You know, think of what just happened. You know, after Peter's denial of Jesus, I'm sure Peter was thinking, Jesus is not going to love him anymore. I'm sure he thought he doesn't deserve to be loved, and he doesn't. But Jesus does something great for him, doesn't he? He restores him. And how does he restore him? He allows him to confess his love for Jesus as many times as he has denied him. And Jesus showed Peter how much he forgave him and loved him by giving him the responsibility of the church. He trusted him after that. You know, friends, every time I read this, I get very emotional. You know, I'm not an emotional person. Uh, but every time I read this, I get emotional because I think of how I'm not like Jesus in my relationships with others. I'm more like Peter. You know, this is the same Peter that asked Jesus in Matthew chapter 18 after Jesus taught him about church discipline. This is the same Peter who asked him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now Peter is standing before Jesus hoping that Jesus will forgive him of the great sin that he has done against his friend. You know, Peter is asking, Peter's asking, what's the minimum I need to do to love my brother who has sinned against me? What's the minimum I need to do to forgive my brother? Jesus is saying, that's the wrong question. You should be asking, what's the maximum you can do to love and forgive your brother? You know, we can learn from Christ's example that to be a true friend, you must be willing to be hurt, even be sinned against and then actively pursue your friend with love and forgiveness so that they can be restored. And friends, isn't this the same love with which Christ has loved us? The same love with which he loved Peter? Isn't that the same love with which he has loved us? You know, when it comes to Jesus' friendship with us, we betrayed him, we've denied him, but he showed us grace that led to his humiliation, his suffering, and his substitutionary death for us on the cross. 
His giving of himself is the basis by which we can love God and we can love others. While we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. And so now we must be willing to love our brothers, even if it means they may hurt us. You know, Christ taught in John chapter 13, verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You know, he is saying that the world will know that we belong to Jesus, we've been saved by him because of our love for each other. And that is because the love that brothers in Christ have for one another is so contrary to what you see in the world. In the world's eyes, it does not make sense why people like this would love each other. Because you love people who are like you, or you love people till it starts to cost you. But Christ gave up everything for our sake, and we love each other with the same sacrificial love that Christ has shown us. So in light of that, I want to ask you, is there a brother in a church that you are actively avoiding building a relationship with? Is there someone they are actively avoiding? I don't mean because of the you know, sake of time or energy, um, but is there someone because of their differences, because of their cultural differences, or just socioeconomic differences, or maybe even their personality or their sin that you are unwilling to start a relationship with? Beware, brothers. If we believe what the world says, we will expect our friendships to always be pleasant, encouraging, to always benefit us, to always be for our gain. But as we have seen from Christ's own example, friendship can be pleasant, encouraging, but it can also be hurtful, heartbreaking, and require <coughs> sacrifice. But the rewards are great, as we've seen in these two examples. You see, in the friendship of Jonathan and David, and in the friendship of Jesus and Peter, David and Peter uh, benefited a lot. They were able to do great things for the Lord as a result of this. And that's our hope for our gospel friendships with one another. Even though the hindrances might seem big, we want our brothers to thrive and grow in the Lord. And God wants to use us in their lives for their progress. Now friends, one last thing. As you hear all these things this weekend, and as you consider the huge challenges to building friendships, gospel friendships, I want to end with this amazing promise that Jesus gives his disciples at the end of Matthew 28. This is the real reason we can do what we are talking about this weekend. He says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. How is Jesus with us till the end? It's through his spirit, isn't it? It's through his spirit. So you see, the real power to do what Jesus does comes from Jesus, his presence within us through his spirit. And so really the solution to the problem is greater than the problem itself. The solution comes from without to within. Jesus left his place of glory and came into our world so that we can build these meaningful relationships with each other. But he didn't just come into the world. He came to dwell in our hearts through his spirit. You know, when the Holy Spirit fell on the believers on the day of Pentecost, the most surprising thing happened when the church was formed. The most unlikely people started loving each other. And this is the same spirit 
that now indwells in the lives of every single believer in our church right now. And so while this conference is called Gospel Friendship, it could also be called Spirit-Empowered Friendship because that's what it is and that's what it takes. So friends, despite the challenges, why can we and why must we invest in gospel friendships? It's because of the gospel, like we heard in the first talk. It is because of what it's doing in our lives. It's because of the examples that we have in scripture. But it's also because of this, because of Christ in us. It's because of Christ in us that we are able to build these friendships with others. It's because of Christ who was betrayed, denied, crucified, but still loved and forgave his enemies in us, that we are able to do the same thing for our brothers. So what hope is there for us to draw close to sinners in our church? What great hope then for us to deeply love our brothers in Christ? Really, what more do we need to do this? Again, I'm convicted and challenged as I think about my life and I think about the example and the power that Jesus has given us to do this. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for your word and the truth that it speaks about gospel friendships. Father, we wouldn't know these things. We would only be left to look at the world and be led astray. But we thank you, Lord, that not only do we have your word, but we have Jesus to look at, who not only set an example for us as to how we should love others, but also empowered us through his death and resurrection and through his abiding presence in his life, in our life, so that we can do this for the glory of God. We pray all this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.